you've been coming here for a while, we talk a lot. You heard um, Brad and Erica and Daniel and Katie mention your deal. That's shorthand for us, um, for God's will for your life, the race he wants you to run, whatever biblical terminology you want to use. We pull from Ephesians 2.10, which talks about the good works God has created for us in advance to do. And uh, we also talk a lot about Romans 8.29, that God's desire is to conform each of us into the image of his son. And you heard kind of both of those pieces this morning. Brad and Erica mentioned how much work God uh, did in their hearts and on their character over the last 11 months. And with Daniel and Katie, you can see a family that's really running after uh, their deal and pursuing that and integrating that into their life. And our hope for all of you, uh, for however long you feel like you're connected here, our commitment is we want to help you become as much like Jesus as possible. We want to help you figure out what your deal is and then to run after it. Our vision is to see our community transformed by God, which honestly doesn't really mean anything because it's so nebulous. What are you talking about, your community? Does that mean there's no litter on the streets or no one's getting a divorce or people are in church? What does that mean? And as we've prayed about that, the the only type of revelation I get, and you might get more than me, maybe you've got a better connection than I have, is if people will do their thing, if more and more people will will, will do their deal, You'll see your community changed. And me, I won't be able to see how it fits together. It's a jigsaw puzzle, but God's the one putting the pieces together. And we might not see how everything connects, but it will. If we'll, each of us will just be faithful to run the race he's put in front of us. And you might think, you know, my, my deal is not super spiritual or it's not fostering. It's, it seems small or insignificant. And don't, don't believe that at all. That's not true. The things that God has for each of us were specially made for us. And there are wonderful plans and purposes. Don't, we don't need to compare with one another. We, each of us needs to run our race, and we want to encourage the people who are next to us to run theirs as well. And my desire is that over the course of the next you know, months and years that everyone in this room will be standing here at some point sharing with the rest of us. This is, this is what God has for me, and this is how I'm running after it few announcements and then we'll jump in um financial peace that's a dave ramsey course is starting tonight and you might have been on the fence about that and uh barrett the guy uh, leading that is opening up the first night it's just it's a free shot you can come get a feel for the course get a feel for the material and if you decide you want to um stick then you can sign up tonight there is uh child care available for that but we need to uh know you can see kim kramer afterwards if you want more information if you haven't jumped into a small group that might be a great one for you and also, uh, Marietta Grassroots, that's uh, Les Saunders, who was playing guitar right here, and Suzanne Murphy, she was at the first service. That's their deal. It's a uh, music festival that they've put together. It's on the square on October 9th, and they're looking for volunteers, and you can sign up out front. They need setup, cleanup, people who will pray, and uh, people who will sell T-shirts, and then just some general all-around workers. So you can sign up for that out front. If you have any questions, you can see Les as well. Okay, so Colossians, we've been working through Colossians. Um, chapter 3 is really, specific, it's behavior focused. And we said that the behaviors in Colossians 3 are all dependent upon the work of Colossians 1 and 2. So the assumption is, by the time you get to Colossians 3, you've already read 1 and 2 and you've integrated that into your life. So you have a living, active, abiding relationship with Jesus. You have a new heart, which then allows you to live out these new behaviors. If you don't have a new heart, you're done. If you try to actually do that, it will kill you to try to live out these behaviors that we've been looking at 
in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17, or how we, as the people of God, relate to one another as brothers and sisters. And now what he does is he shrinks it down and he begins to talk about uh, how you function as a family unit, as a household. It's called a household code. There's one in Colossians 3. There's an extended one in Ephesians 6. We're going to look at, or 5 and 6. We're going to look at both of them. They say almost the exact same thing, except Ephesians is a little uh, more expanded. It'll give us a little more insight into what Paul is talking about. A little background. Paul's time, the household was the most important unit of society. It comprised your immediate family, sometimes your extended family, and anyone who worked for you. So whether those were laborers, whether those were slaves, whether those were free, uh, freedmen who were servants, they all were, that was your household. Um, and within the context of that, the head of the household, who was the husband, father, master, and you'll see that when we look, it's the same person, pretty much ran the show. He had 100% authority, and everyone else's responsibility was loyalty. If you read through, if you enjoy reading ancient literature, you can do that, and all these philosophers and teachers, all of them, have household codes. They all say, this is how you need to function in the household. The difference between the New Testament and everywhere else, everybody talks to women, everybody talks to children, and everybody talks to slaves. Nobody else talks to husbands and fathers and masters. And that's the biggest difference between the New Testament and everywhere else. It's not just here's how the women and the children and the slaves need to treat one another and how they need to relate to the master and their husband and their father. Here's how the man of the house if you want to use that terminology, is supposed to relate back. So that's a little bit of background. Um, if some of this might make you bow up, some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, just remember the, the umbrella. Jesus said the two most important commandments, love God and love people. So all of the things that we're talking about, all of the specifics, even the ones we've looked at over the last three or four weeks as we've dug into Colossians 3, are all specific expressions of how we love God and how we love people. That's it. So if you start getting feisty in your heart with some of the stuff that we're talking about, recognize it's just loving people. This is the specific ways that we're supposed to love one another. And kind of the, the picture for me is if your faith, if the gospel, if Christianity, whatever you want to call it, if it doesn't work in your home, it, it doesn't work. If it doesn't work with your most important, your primary relationships, it doesn't work at all. So here's Colossians 3. We're going to look at uh, two pairs. We won't have time to get all the way through the code. Uh, this morning. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. If you look back at Ephesians, here's a fuller picture of that. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This is Ephesians 5. For the Lord is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So the commands there are very straightforward. To wives, submit. That is, voluntarily subject yourself to your husband and respect your husband. You saw that in Colossians and in Ephesians. To husbands, we have one command. Love your wife. 
And it's qualified in different ways. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Love your wife as you love yourself. Love your wife just period. Love her, don't treat her harshly. And love your wife as your own body. But it's same thing. Love your wife. Those are the commands. Straight up, plain and simple. Now there's a pretty big divide in the church on how people understand this whole idea of husband and wife and actually uh, ministry roles in the church. I'm not going to get into it because, honestly, I don't care. And uh, I don't care what you think about it either. Not in a bad way. You can pick. We're a big tent, and you can land under either one of those. The big words, one is called complementarianism, which is male headship. That means men lovingly exercise authority, and their wives or the women in the church lovingly submit to that authority. If you want to dig into that, you can Google the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. That's fancy. You can Google that, find their website. They'll give you more information than you want to know. The other side of that coin is called egalitarianism, which is uh, mutual submission would be their bumper sticker. We're, We're called to submit to one another. There is in Christ, there is no male or female. If you want to dig into that, it's Christians for Biblical Equality. Google that. You'll go to their website. Again, they'll give you more information. The um, discussions between those groups can be a little nasty, so you can just kind of walk that. And again, I don't. it doesn't matter to me whether you're a complementarian or an egalitarian or you're both or neither. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters to me is that you treat one another biblically, which it means wives submit to your husbands and respect them, and husbands love your wives, period. If we're doing that, it doesn't matter what label we do or don't have. So I'm not going to get into that. By all means, you can if you want to. Real quick, before I get into some specifics, on this whole idea of submission, are there limits? Paul says submit in everything. Does that really mean in everything? And I would say with this relationship, husband and wife, the one we're about to look at, parents and children, the one we'll look at next week, uh, slaves and masters are for us, it's employers and employees. Uh, Also in, in terms of our relationship with the state, there is this idea of submitting to authority, but it's not absolute. If submitting to the authority, whether that's husband, parent, boss, state, if that causes you to disobey the Lord, then you don't have to do it. That's the limit. Paul says, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. And it's not fitting to disobey him or to bring dishonor to him. So wives, if your husband asks you to be a drug mule, you say no. That's dishonoring, that disobeys God. So you can say no to your husband with a good conscience. You get that. Same thing, children and parents, if your parents are asking you to do something that is against the clear revelation of Scripture, then you can say no. There's a big gray area with this. You feel called to go to California, and your parents are saying, well, I don't know. And y'all can wrestle with what does that look like in terms of submitting to authority and honoring your parents. Same thing, husband and wife, you know, wife, you want to go to Afghanistan and be a missionary, and husband says, no way. I don't want you to do that. And we can talk about is that how firm that revelation is and whether that rises to the level of Scripture to be able to say, you know what, uh, I need to go even though you're asking me not to. Those are very special, specific, individual, and rare cases. So in general, the word is wives submit unless it causes you to disobey the Lord. Three pairs of words I want you to look at. This is from Ephesians. Submit and sacrifice. I'm getting sacrifice from this idea that uh, Paul says to love your wives as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that's the picture. A lot of times we tie the word submission to the word head. That's the wrong connection to make. The connection you want to make are the verbs, submit and sacrifice. That's the, that's the pair. So as wives submit, 
husband's sacrifice. If you ever, in a marriage relationship, if you are married or you intend to be married, once you begin to clamor for your rights, you've already lost. So husbands, if you ever look at your wife and say, submit to me, woman, you've, you've lost. Not just because you're sleeping on the couch. You've lost because you never, you don't exercise your rights. It's a race to the bottom. Who can serve the other first, best, most? She's submitting to you, voluntarily subjecting herself to you, but you're supposed to be sacrificing yourself for her. Women, if you ever have to look at your husband and say, sacrifice for me, serve me, then you've lost. We don't grab for our rights. We gave all of that up when we said yes to Jesus. Philippians 2 says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the picture for us. You don't have any rights within your marriage. You never get to put your foot down and say, again, submit. You don't say that. You serve more sacrificially. If that's not happening, if she's not submitting to you, the the solution is not to point her to Ephesians 5.23 and say, see, the solution is to serve her more extravagantly. Same thing, wives. If you won't turn off the, the TV when you're talking to him and you stand in front of it, don't nag. Submit. Look for opportunities to give yourself away in this marriage relationship. Don't start clamoring for your rights. Second pair, head and body. Those are the two that go together. Not head and submission, head and body. We're not talking about which one is more important than the other. The picture is of two becoming one. He takes a man, he takes a woman, he puts them together. They're one flesh, head and body. For some of you, you've already walked through this. Some of you haven't yet. If you're married, I promise you will. There will be a time where you're going to want to throw in the towel. You're going to think, I made a mistake, I was young, I didn't know he would do this, I didn't know she would turn out this way. It would be easier for us to be apart. And you're going to wrestle through that. If your vision of marriage and you and your spouse, if it's just two individuals who've come together for the purposes of self-fulfillment, well, if you can find your fulfillment somewhere else, then go for it. Easy divorce there. It's easy to walk away if your fulfillment is number one priority for you. If that's the number one agenda, if that's the umbrella that you've come together under, which is many of the marriages in our society, Christian or not, they've come together for the purposes of self-fulfillment. What can I get out of this? And once you don't make me happy, once you don't meet my needs, I'm done. It's not a marriage. It's a business relationship. Easy to get out of that. If you see yourself, this is especially for you men, if you see yourself as the head and your wife is your secretary, She's there to help you accomplish your purposes. She's there to put food on the table for you to wash your clothes and to encourage you when you're down. If that's her job, she's your assistant and your cheerleader. People leave their boss all the time. That's an easy one also. Have you ever tried to remove your head from your body? It doesn't work. It's a bloody mess. That's the picture head and body, one flesh. You want to decapitate yourself. 
That's the only way to get the head off the body. And it's bad for everybody involved. That's why God hates divorce. Because it ruins. There's redemption, there's restoration, but I want you to hear me. It ruins the hearts of the people. It, you're dividing something. God has fused two people into one, and you are severing that. Are there biblical reasons for divorce? Yes. There's three. Adultery, abandonment, and neglect. Don't, but once you start looking for the justification, you've already lost. You ever look for a reason to cut your head off? You ever look for a reason to cut off your body? No. No. Same thing within your marriage. God has joined you together. You're it. You're one now. Head and body. Last one, respect and love. That's verse 33 in Ephesians 5. Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. To me, that speaks to the daily ness of this. It can be easy to see sacrifice as this heroic thing. If some intruder breaks into the house and has a gun, I'm going to take the bullet for my wife. And it has no effect on how I treat her on a regular basis. She's like, give yourself up for me. Put the seat down and put your clothes in the hamper. That's enough for right now. Sacrifice for me in that way. And for wives, sometimes when it comes to submission, your picture is, well, if we go round and round and round and round and I can't convince him that I'm right, then I'll say, okay, I submit as I roll my eyes and I keep the I told you so card in my back pocket. That's not it. Respect and love for one another. It's a daily posture. It's how we treat one another every day. And then if the heroic comes, that's fine because you're already in the habit of sacrificing. And you're already in the habit of submitting. So when the heroic time, the crisis time comes, it's already part of, of how you relate to one another. If that's not how you re- relate to one another on Tuesday, when the crisis comes, you're not going to relate to each other that way. You're not going to take the bullet for her. You're going to be out the window. You haven't developed a posture and attitude of sacrificing. So don't think you're going to do it when times get really hard if you're not doing it now. You get that. Colossians 3, I've got to move. 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, that is, uh, irritate them, or they will become discouraged, they will lose heart. Back to Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with the promise that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate, do not provoke your children to anger, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up, nurture them, nourish them to maturity in the training that is in cultivating a life well lived. Show them how to live a good life and instruction. Give them a word of encouragement or warning, whatever is necessary, of the Lord. So parents and children, all of us are somebody's kids. I don't think anybody in here is under 18, so I'm going to skip this. If you're under 18, you're living at home, the word is obey your parents, period. Unless obeying them will cause you to disobey God, you do it. There's no asterisks. Your parents are jerks or your mom's mean or they're over. It doesn't matter. You obey your parents, but we're going to skip that. In Paul's time, people went straight from living under their father's household to forming their own. So a a woman, maybe a girl, maybe 13, 14, 15, living at home, and then she moves. She gets married to a man. Usually the men are 27, 28, 29, 30, something like that. The man and the woman, they're living in separate. They're living under their own fathers and they come together and form a new household they don't have this gray area that we have between 18 and 
50, it seems like, where people don't really, where, where am I? Some of you are college students and you still live at home, which is fine. Some of you have graduated. I think they call it the boomerang ge- generation. And you've come home for whatever reason, because you couldn't find work or because you like that your mom does your laundry or because it's hard to find a job that will pay the rent. I, it, none of that matters in terms of why you're there. It's not better or worse. It just means you have to figure out, how do I honor my parents as an adult? And that's something we all have to wrestle with. For those of us who don't live at home, it's a little easier because there, there are clearer boundaries there. We have a, we've kind of created this other household. If you're still living at home, which is fine, it's not a, don't hear that, it's fine. You've got to figure out how to honor your parents. I do too. It's just easier, probably easier for me emotionally to figure out how to honor mine because I'm not coming home to them regularly. If you are, if you're in a, as a, an adult child, we're all still somebody's kids. Until your parents die, you're supposed to honor them. 1 Timothy 5.4. If a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice. How? By caring for their own family and repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The picture there is you take care of your folks, you honor them until they die. And so we've got to figure out how to navigate through those waters. And I would say this for all of us. If you have, as adult children, don't cut off your parents, but it's okay if they cut themselves off. It's okay as an adult to say, if your mom wears you out about this particular issue, it's okay to say, Mom, I love you. We, I don't want to talk about this anymore. You're killing me. I, I want to be in a relationship with you, but we're not going to talk about finances. And if she brings it up, Mom, I said, we're not going to talk about that. I'm going to hang up if you keep talking about it. And then you hang up. You don't slam the phone down and not call her back for a month without telling her. You let, that's not honoring your mom. You have to figure out how to do that. And again, there's no asterisks in this. It's not honor your parents unless they're really mean or honor your parents unless they're a nightmare on you or honor your parents unless they're over... Bearing, it's none of that. It's honor your parents. And we all need to figure out how to do that. I'm not going to give you too many specifics because it's different based on your relationship with your parents and what their particular idiosyncrasies are as well as yours. But you get the picture. It's okay to set guidelines for this is how I'm going to relate to you, mom and dad. That's part of maturing. That's part of becoming an adult. 100% do that. You don't have to keep stepping in front of the gun. Every you know, You don't have to do that. You can say... We're not doing this anymore. But you can't cut them off. If they don't want to play by the rules, that's okay. Check your heart on why you're making the rules as well. If you're doing it out of revenge, if you're doing it out of contempt, if you have children and you use your children as a bargaining chip, awful. You can't do that. You've got to figure out why am I doing this. And if your motivation is anything other than I'm trying to honor my parents, you need to look at it real quick and then we'll be done. Parents, this is our responsibility. And I would say this goes whether your children are, it it changes as your children become adults, but I would say this, even if you're parents of adult children, think about this. Do not embitter, do not exasperate, bring up, that changes once your kids are adults, obviously. Ways you can exasperate, uh, embitter, and discourage your kids. This is me. I think for guys, this first one's maybe a little more of an issue. Sarcasm. I tend to be sarcastic. If I'm sarcastic with my kids and I'm honest with myself, it's because I want them to feel dumb. They frustrated me and I'm lashing back. Terrible. I might think it's funny. They don't. If you tend to be sarcastic, I would encourage you 
next time you say something sarcastic, ask your wife if she thought it was funny. Ask your kids if they thought it was funny. And the answer is probably no. It's just mean. So if, you tend, if you're like me and you tend to be sarcastic, you've got to rein that in when it comes to your children. That is something that will provoke your kids to anger and it will cause them to lose heart. They won't know when you're telling them the truth. They won't know when you're making a joke. They won't know when you're trying to encourage them and they won't know when you're trying to tear them down. So just talk straight. Don't use sarcasm with your kids. Maybe when they're 20 or 25, they get it. They don't get it when they're six. Second thing, unreasonable expectations. Again, I think sarcasm maybe can tend to be something us guys struggle with. I think these expectations, for some of you, it can tend to be more of a problem with the moms. None of us want to be that parent who lives through our kids, and I didn't make you know, the varsity baseball team, so my son is, or I didn't win the beauty pageant, so my daughter is. We, most of us steer away from that. Like That's a stereotype that we all seek to avoid. But it's pretty easy to develop unreasonable expectations that are uh, not that explicit. It's okay to reward your kids for achievement. It's okay to encourage them if you feel like they're not living up to their potential. But you don't want to tie your acceptance or your love to their performance. We talk about that all the time in here with God. We want to get off the performance treadmill. He loves us because he chose to. He adopted us because he did. For some of you, the reason you're on a performance treadmill with God is because you were on one with your parents. And you don't want to do that to your own children. And a lot of times those expectations are not communicated explicitly. It's subtle. And you need to be careful of that. If you get upset when your kid isn't student of the month, when it bothers you that she or he didn't make the all-star team, if that if something riles up in you and you think somebody rigged the election or somebody's mom was just kissing up and that's how her kid got it, you need to figure out, am I, am, am I, do I have unreasonable expectations for my kid? Am I, am I allowing... If, your children are a reflection on you to a point, but only to a point. And you've got to figure out where that line is and where you've crossed from being a parent to saying whatever happens with them, that's a reflection on me, and I don't want to go down with that ship. And that's hard for some of you, and that's hard for some of us to grab onto. So your kid's a C student. That might be, your kid might be a C student. Is that a reflection on you? You've got to be willing to draw a line and say, that's okay. I'm going to love him, her, as a C student, and not be embarrassed about that, and cause that to somehow reflect poorly upon me. You get that. Inconsistent discipline. Some of you, maybe you tend to get angry, and so you fly off the handle, and you over-punish. So on a good day when you don't eat your vegetables, you miss dessert, and on a bad day when you don't eat your vegetables, you're grounded for a week, and the kid doesn't know where to, how am I supposed to navigate through this? It can, that's discouraging, and that can provoke anger. That's irritating. Let me know where I stand. Where the, are you going to be consistent? was a penalty yesterday, a penalty today. You, all of you have played sports, you know that. Just call the game the same way so I know how to play. Your kids are the same way. Just call it the same way. You're going to have bad days. But in general, be consistent. One of the things, our kids are young, so I hesitate to put anything out there because who knows if they're going to stay on the rails or not. But this is what we've done. We felt like we went through a stage where all we said to our kids was no. No, 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 everything. It was wearing us out. 
And so we said at some point, we just we tried this. Let's say let's pick a few things and let's focus on a few things and let some other things go. And so we would do like we had this thing we called it the summer of kindness. So that summer we just worked on being kind. Our kids might have lied their pants off, but they were learning. And then we did the fall of truth to kind of work out. Pick, pick. Just you can't do everything at once because God doesn't do everything with you at once. If I were asking you what's God doing in your heart, what's He teaching you, it's not everything in here. It's one, probably. He's teaching you patience. He's probably not teaching you generosity and patience at the same time. He gives us space to grow. Give your kids space to grow. It's okay. One of the other things we did is we began to see discipline not as punitive, but as character forming. Again, Romans 8.29 applies to children as well. God wants to conform them into His image as well. And as parents, our job... This adult, parents of adult children, this applies to you as well. Our job is to do whatever we can to help God conform our kids into his image, whether they're 9 or 19 or 49. We want to be a means of his grace. And when they're young and you're disciplining them, rather than saying don't lie, say we want to become people of the truth. It's a positive instead of a negative. And that might help you feel, not feel like you're constantly the police all the time. That's whatever it's worth. These relationships, I said at the beginning, if your faith doesn't work in your primary relationships, husband, wife, parent, kid, it doesn't work. And as much, Ashley said it during worship, as much as it depends on us, our responsibility is to live at peace with everybody. That's my mom, that's my father-in-law, it's my kids, all of them. As much as it depends on me, I've got to live at peace with them. And the same thing is true for you. Let's pray. Bo's going to come up and he's just going to